Father, I just, I thank you, God, that you're here in this place today, Lord, that you're here in the midst of us right now. Father, I pray that you would speak to us today, that you would challenge us today, God, Lord, that especially for those of us maybe we're, we're going to be beginning, people are beginning to travel, God. I just pray it's just safe journeys travel on so many folks from here, families as well, family, friends uh, who are flying in, God, over the next week or so. Lord, I just pray just safe travels over people this Christmas time, God. Lord, I pray that today, Lord, we'd peel back the onion skin. We'd unwrap that layer of wrapping paper, God, over your awesome Christmas story and that you would speak to us in a fresh way, in a, in a new way, God, that you would challenge us to go to a deeper place in you, God, and that to expect more from our life with you. In your name, amen. Amen, amen guys. So. Last week, we were chatting about Advent and uh, we were kind of challenging ourselves on this being anticipating what God's going to do, anticipating and expecting that God's going to break out in a fresh way in our lives this Christmas time, in the same way that he broke out in the world at the first Christmas. And the other challenge or big challenge we kind of took out of last week was in that Advent period where God challenges Mary that there's this challenge in Advent that we challenge ourselves in to be like Mary to say Lord let your will be done Lord let your will be done and so today in our Christmas unwrapped series how very punny in our Christmas unwrapped series we're unwrapping another layer and the title today is the Christmas King the Christmas King so what we're going to do is look into the Christmas story, particularly in Matthew, the story of the Magi. It's a, very, it's a story very focused on kings, lots of kings there, because ultimately Christmas is about the coming of a king. Do you remember last week we read that prophecy from Isaiah that speaks about Jesus and how the government would be on his shoulders, uh, of his rule there would be no end. And so we're going to start by today just going into Matthew 2. It's uh, going to jump about a little bit, but you'll see as we go through. The verses are, are up there. So Matthew 2, verse 1 to 3. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them, that's the Magi, to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt, I call my son. When Herod realized that he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. 
when he heard, this is Joseph, when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. So we see even just through that little section there, a bunch of prophecies fulfilled about the coming of Jesus and Jesus's birth and the Christmas story. We actually only get the story of the Magi in Matthew. You don't get it in the other ones, in the other Gospels, that these magicians, these, these wise guys, these wise men, who studied the stars from Eastern lands come to Jerusalem. And where do they go? They go to the palace, don't they? They go to the palace. And what do they say to King Herod? They go up to him and they say, where's the one born king of the Jews? Where's the one, but where's the king? Where's the one born king of the Jews? And I don't know about you guys, but how many people know it's not a good idea to go to the king over the Jews and say, where's the king over the Jews? Where's the king? of the Jews and the Bible uses this word it says that Herod was disturbed by it sometimes the Bible uses these words which is you know I get disturbed when maybe someone shouts at the back or something that disturbs me from my train of thought something like that Herod is more than disturbed he's like the by what the Bible means by disturbed is like he freaks out but I don't think they really use that word mostly in the Bible unless you unless you're reading maybe the message at the time but Herod completely you know we see from what he does he freaks out but he gets together all the scholars and all the scribes and he discovers from looking back in the scriptures that the Messiah is prophesied to be born in Bethlehem. And it's actually prophesied in the book of Micah. In Micah 5.2 it says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. It's a prophecy of one who will be born written by Micah it's a prophecy of one who will be born but was also before before in ancient times I love that Jesus both baby in a manger and the word at creation through which all things were made so Herod he finds that out and he sends these guys off to hey look go to Bethlehem and when you find out come back and tell me immediately so that I too may go and worship him but he's got a plan doesn't he and God speaks to them in a dream whilst they're there and warns them hey don't go back and tell Herod because Herod's planning to kill Jesus so when Herod realizes he's been duped, when he's been tricked, he's completely furious. And because he doesn't know exactly which boy it is, he doesn't know who the baby is, he issues this order that all the baby boys in Bethlehem and in the surrounding area under the age of two are to be killed. Uh, the um, scholars looking at the populations at the time think that's about 20 to 30 babies. So actually not often mentioned in other literature that it could be quite a normal scene thing but actually devastating for that community but meanwhile God has warned Joseph hey you've got to get out of here this is going to happen flee to Egypt and they flee to Egypt 
and very likely they move if you guys have ever been to Egypt you can picture this they've moved to Alexandria which had this massive Jewish expat population and they stay there waiting for news that it's safe to return and they hear that Herod's died and they go back but on returning Joseph finds finds out you know Archelaus the son of Herod is still in power and God leads them instead of going to Bethlehem to go to Nazareth which fulfills this prophecy that he would be a Nazarene so that's just this overview of the story so what's actually going on here what's the point of it all why is it that Matthew writes this all down about these kind of magi coming in this king Herod what's what's the deal well when the gospel writers write something they write it firstly because it's true because it happened and secondly because it actually is something that it reveals something to us it it tells us about who Jesus is it tells us about what Jesus came to do and how he came to do it so that's really where we're going to camp out a bit and that's where we're going to look into for the rest of the time that Jesus came to establish his kingdom here upon the earth when a kingdom comes and moves in and if there's another kingdom there it constitutes a threat you know Christ's kingdom is a threat it's a challenge spiritually it's a challenge to the dominion of darkness but also it's a threat to all other kingdoms that exist there's lots and lots of evil in the world we know this right there's injustice and fear and poverty and war the world is rife with it every single person in the world we've got our own points of view you meet some people who say hey look the world has got so much evil and it's so bad because all the people with the wealth all the people with the money they're not good that actually they're causing all these injustices in the world and in that you kind of make the the poor guys out to be the good guys and the rich guys out to be the bad guys and then you have the people who maybe would say ah no all the bad things in the world are because of the immoral super elites but also the way a lot of people who are poor live that it's just look after me and myself stealing and all these kind of things not looking after society as a whole and that ends up making the good guys into the middle classes the kind of the hard-working decent people and the bad guys into these super elites and these rule-breaking kind of survival instinct people who are poor but the thing is the Christmas story it challenges all of that it challenges both of those perspectives that despite the Bible being a lot about God's love for the poor and about how supporting the poor supporting the oppressed it's not the message of the Christmas story so the message of Christmas as a challenge in that is that the source of all the evil in the world is within every human heart Merry Christmas (laughs) that's the end of the sermon bye guys (laughs) the source of the evil in the world is within every human heart hearts that king herod in a sense that king herod and his response to jesus in some sense is a picture of each of us here's a challenge who is king of your life who's king of every area every aspect of your life see if you want to be king 
of your life. So many people do, right? If you want to be king of your life, and then Jesus comes along and says that he is the king, then you have a decision to make. Everybody has a decision to make. Only one of you, only one of us can sit on the, the throne of our lives. And Jesus is a respecter of persons. He's not going to just come along and say, hey, I'm the king and kick you off the throne. He asks you to choose him, to bow the knee to him, to get out of your throne and say, hey, Jesus, come take a seat, sit here. Will you rule? Will you rule in my life? Will you rule in my family? Will you rule in my workplace? Will you rule in and through my finances? Will you rule in my desires and my aspirations and my hopes in every single area? Jesus and the claim of Christmas is that God is the king. In Luke 14, 26, there's that weird verse where it says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Ooh, you know, that's a, that's a hard one. I know many people have struggled with that, like, ah, he probably doesn't really mean that. You know, that's a hard one. Tough verse. He isn't literally calling us to take this active, passionate stance of hatred towards your own families, your own kin. That's not the point of him saying that. It's this verse, a very strong verse. It's a, like a hyperbole kind of verse where he's really being very radical where he's literally calling us, it stresses the, the expectation and the position of Christ in the believer's life. That Jesus as king is calling for an allegiance so great, so committed, so grand that all other affiliations, all other affections are less in comparison to it. It's Jesus making his claim of total authority in life. Total authority. It's a call to this unconditional loyalty. And amazingly, amongst all the presents and the lights and the Christmas trees, that's the call of Christmas. The king has come. And as a result of that, there are people bowing the knee to King Jesus. But also, there is this thing that the call of Christmas has in the human heart, where the human heart resists it, where the human heart fights it. But Paul in Romans 8 speaks about the natural state of the human heart. And he says that there's enmity between our minds and our hearts towards God. There's hatefulness towards God. It says that we can't even submit to the law of God. That there's this thing in our beings that cries out, no one is going to tell me what to do. I'm the boss. I'm the king of this kingdom. Kingdom James, you know, served Kingdom James. You know, I'm the boss of the kingdom. And the Bible shows us that the evil of the world stems from this self-centeredness, self-righteousness, self-absorption. That we want actually the world to fulfill our needs, our desires. We don't want to serve God or serve neighbor or serve something else. We want those things to serve us. Within all human hearts, there is then, if you imagine this little image with me, a little King Herod sat there 
inside every human heart who wants to rule and get freaked out and threatened by anything that compromises and challenges his kingship, his control. We want to be the masters. And it's hard, isn't it? It's hard because even when we realize that, then actually the truth of it is that every human heart needs help to come to God. Every human heart. We need a miracle. We can't become righteous by ourselves. We can't get right with God on our own or by our own effort. And the, the Bible says that no one is righteous. No, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. It's like, what? It's crazy. Paul wrote that in Romans 3. And we can say, sure, no one understands. We can only understand to the extent that God reveals himself to us. And we kind of get this thing of that actually God needs to, to work in us, that none are truly righteous outside of Christ, but seeks? No one seeks? You know, the Bible says it, and it's, theologians have two angles where they, they address that. From one says, you know, actually that many, many people... It's actually they're seeking what God gives and not God himself. All good stuff, right? All great stuff, but they don't seek God. They seek breakthrough for something, healing, miracles. They seek to have restoration maybe in an area or a problem fixed. They're all great things, but really their heart, they're seeking that. And so you guys may have seen it or experienced it, or you may say, actually, yeah, that's been me, you know, that when things don't go well. When life isn't going exactly how it's wanted, how they've wanted, maybe prayers haven't been answered in the right way or haven't been answered yet or they haven't been answered at all, then because of that, they walk away from God, walk away from the community of faith because he isn't giving them what they want. It's that self-centeredness, this you God serve me. And the other kind of concept from theologians around that same thing, and I think it's a mix over the two, is that people make up a God. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but people invent God. And I'm not talking about other faiths, but within Christianity that they don't seek God as he reveals himself to be in the Bible, but they make up this other kind of God that suits their culture, their worldview what they're happy with, their personal beliefs, and, and look for him. Yes, that's you, God. You sit there. That's what God is to me. And that's one of the truths at Christmas, that within the story of Herod going nuts, right? You've got to go nuts to kill a load of babies. Okay? It's not like mildly put off, you know. He goes nuts. Within this attempt to kill Jesus, the king of the Jews, it shows our natural resistance, our natural pushback, our natural opposition to the claims of God on our lives. Mankind can make up this beautiful fantasy of who God is, this kind of God who's there on a Sunday and he's pretty chilled out. He's chilled out with all the stuff that's going on. He's a friend. And when I'm like, ah, I just don't, I know you've got that written in the Bible, God, but I just don't agree with that. It's just a pushover. And it's just like, yeah, okay. You know, it's this created God to cover over and mask the real God who shows up at Christmas 
and shows himself as absolute king absolute king and that is so challenging but also so wonderful and so beautiful i think especially guys need to hear this because sometimes they a false picture of who jesus is as this soft wimpy not inspiring to follow kind of guy but actually he's strong and mighty and awesome that i'll bow the knee to him i'll follow him anywhere he's my king that it's just he's so so mighty so magnificent and at its core is this call for us all to make him our king and pursue him pursue him not for what he can give us not for just making us feel comfortable but pursue him for him and him alone and so this christmas i just want to encourage you guys wherever if you're flying back around the world whatever remember your first love remember jesus don't forget the king has come that he came two thousand years ago and today he's seated on a throne in heaven and the question is who is on the throne of your life today where is the king that's the question isn't it where is the king the wise men call it out and they say hey where is the king it's the most disturbing question that the human heart can ever get asked because we want to keep our kingship in the many varied and different ways that we could just to give you an example from a religious standpoint because i think sometimes this is where folk get tripped up with the most it's just like no i'm very i'm a very religious person some people who do this are deeply religious their belief is one of works though that good people get to go to heaven i'm so good you know i follow all the rules like the rich young ruler i follow all the rules that god you have to do my will god if i follow all the rules you have to let me into heaven they put themselves in some form of power and authority above god himself rather than bow the knee and serve him and so in some weird often i think unintentional way in their religion they put themselves as king over christ or on the other end of the spectrum you have the atheist who claims there is no god i'm lord of my life it's humanism isn't it it's the same thing both things all are hostile to god and so the coming of this christmas king means that no one can truly be neutral about christmas really if they understand like the heart of christmas no one can be truly neutral about christmas because if it's true and i believe it's true if the son of god jesus christ is born in a manger then every single one of us everyone everywhere has lost the right to be in charge of their life that's a claim of christmas challenging so challenging no one can be neutral about a claim that means that you lose control of your life maybe if you're listening to this as well maybe you're you're not somebody of faith bear that in mind because christmas brings out that tough question is who is the king it's jesus the one who was and is and is to come king of kings and lord of lords or is it you 
So we as like, as believers may be thinking to ourselves, well, okay, James, I hear you, but how does that apply to us? We've got peace with God, don't we? We've got peace with God, right? And the answer is, you know, yeah, we do have peace with God. But Christ has paid the ultimate price. But have you noticed that in life, continuously, we need to be enthroning him in our lives, that there's something within our nature that fights and pushes back, tries to wrest back control from him. You know, Paul writes about that, that kind of thing. And he says, I do what I don't want to do. And I don't do what I do want to do. We find it, despite coming to faith in him, we find it hard, don't we? We find it hard to obey. We find it hard to read the word. We find it hard to trust. There's still that little Herod who is on the throne of our lives, who wants to rule. If he isn't, I want to encourage you, make Jesus king today. So the Christmas story, the kids' little storybook, the nativity, all this stuff, it's not just a nice story. It's the center point of time, isn't it? It's where time finds its locus, where we measure BC, before Christ, AD, after Christ. It's the coming of the king. It means that the king has come into the world. And Jesus is an interesting king because usually kings only come once, but Jesus comes twice. The second coming, it's going to be in power and might, isn't it? Power and might to end all darkness and evil and death and suffering in the world. But the first time he came, he came quietly. Didn't he? he came in weakness to a poor family. He was born in a place where animals were kept. If you just think about that, the king of the universe, king of kings, lord of lords. I don't think it was a clean stable, like a nativity stable. It would have stank. It would have been awful. You know, there would have been urine on the straw. It would have been challenging. King of kings is born in a situation of poverty. No one who can help it, if you've got a choice, gives birth in a stable. But this isn't an accident. It's by design. Jesus doesn't act like the king of kings that most humans would think that a king should act like. He spins that concept of his rule and his kingship completely on its head. Academically, he has no qualifications, does he? Jesus has, he has no degrees or masters. And if you think how important that is in Hong Kong culture, in, in the Hong Kong setting, what masters do you have? What qualifications do you have? You know, if Jesus was invited to pastor a church in Hong Kong, he wouldn't be allowed in because he wouldn't be able to get a visa because he doesn't have a degree. Socially, he's like the lowest of the low, all by design. Jesus doesn't grow up in Bethlehem, this town on the outskirts of Jerusalem, the center of, of religion, really, the great temple there. He grows up in Nazareth a rural backwater of Israel about which everyone said, surely nothing good can come out of Nazareth. Surely no Nazarene could ever amount to anything good. But it was God's plan all along. The, the world looks down and despises people from a lower or different social background, or if they don't have the right educational background. People do like to put themselves in positions where they feel more superior than others. And Jesus the King turns everything 
on its head and he, he opposes that and he contradicts that and if we look at the bible we just see that is how god works it's how he's worked across time that he chooses the lesser things the broken things they're not good enough things jesus the king of kings and lord of lords is born in a stable to this poor family god chooses to bring his message not through the egyptians not through the babylonians or the romans these great empires of the time but through this small people who've only had power that amounted something internationally significant when solomon and david were there but really not a great people there god chooses to kill goliath not with a bigger giant or a lightning bolt or something like that but he chooses to use a shepherd boy not using a huge spear but using a pebble it's just how god works god brings victory doesn't he through a terrified man gideon not a mighty warrior and tells him to get rid of most of his army and he goes to war with 300. he uses an 80 year old guy with a speech impediment it's moses to set his people free from slavery from the greatest superpower of the time Jesus chooses men who failed at synagogue school. They failed at their religious studies. You know, they're not good at religion. And so they've had to return and go back to their family businesses, back to being fishermen. And he chooses these guys to be disciples, to see the entire of the world completely transformed. When God speaks to Elijah, he doesn't speak through the fire and the great earthquake and the storm and the wind. He speaks in the small, still voice. In this culture where we have boys, the first, the eldest, right? The eldest who got everything, all the inheritance, all this stuff. And the youngest didn't really get that much. God chooses to work not through the eldest so often. He chooses to work through Abel, not Cain. Through Jacob, not Esau. He chooses to work through David, the youngest brother who's not even invited to the meeting, right? For choosing the king. He's out in the fields. Jesus, David, not his older brothers. Where women are in this society where they're valued for being able to bear children and how beautiful they are. God, what does he choose? He chooses old Baron Sarah instead of young Hagar. He chooses Leah and not Rachel. Unattractive, unloved Leah to be the great, 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 however many greats, grandmother of Jesus. He chooses Rebecca, who can't have children. He chooses Hannah, who can't have children. He chooses Samson's mum, who can't have children. He chooses Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, who also couldn't have children. And why does he do this? Why is it he does this? Why is it he acts like this? Why? Because over and over and over again, God says, you know, I choose Nazareth and not Jerusalem. I choose the girl nobody wants. I choose the boy that everybody's forgotten. And the thing is, most people look at that and think, you know, God loves the underdog. God chooses the underdog. That's his MO. He loves the Mighty Ducks. It's a favorite film. But that's just not true. Not about the Mighty Ducks. It's not true. He loves everyone. You know, he loves everyone. He's not along, oh, you're good looking, so ugh, like that. He loves everyone. So what is it that's going on? What, why is that this trend throughout the Bible? Because we see that right through the entire Bible, that throughout even his birth story is how it works. It's not about God's favoritism or something like that. 
it's telling us something beautiful about the nature of salvation itself, about what Jesus came to earth to do. You see, every other faith on the planet is going to say, you've got to be strong enough. You've got to be good enough. You've got to find your way back to God. You've got to do this and do that and do that. And if you can't do it, you're not strong enough. You won't be accepted. You will fail. It's good for the strong people. It's good for the people who can. It's not good for the people who can't. But you see, only Jesus, the Christmas King, born in this stinking stable, this dirty place. He says, I've come for the weak and he identifies with them. I've come for those who know that they can't, who admit to themselves that they are weak. He says, I'm going to save them, not because of what they can do or because of how they've lived, but because of what I can do, because of what I am doing. He says, the gospel says, you're not expected to raise yourself to heaven's standard. He knows that you just can't. But he says, I will descend down to their level. And he's born in a stable to lead them by the hand back to the Father. So your salvation is because the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the King of the universe did something nobody and no one expected. See, remember the disciples were saying, when are you going to take up your power? When are you going to come into your kingdom? <laughs> he says, you just don't get it, guys. You don't get it. I'm not going to like zap everyone and kind of destroy the Romans and take over. It's different. You see, he says, yeah, you, you don't get it. Actually, I'm going to lose my power. They're like, what? He says, yeah, and, and I'm going to die. No, remember Peter says, no, that like this can't happen. He says, get behind me, Satan. He says, I'm going to lose my power and die so that you can live, so that the whole world can live. See, everyone was expecting Jesus at the high point of his ministry to ascend a throne on earth. But he doesn't. He ascends a cross. He ascends a cross. And on it, he's stripped and he's beaten and he's weak and he's helpless. He was physically helpless. And he bears all the sin and the evil which is within our lives. Which we in our weakness we just couldn't bear, could we? We just couldn't pay for. Why is it that he did that? He did it so that if we put our faith in him, we can be reconciled to the Father. We can be reconciled to him so that when he comes a second time in power, when he comes this second time, when the king comes in power, he can end evil without ending us. You see, Jesus, the Christmas king, his weakness is his strength and that's the beautiful message of christmas that he doesn't actually care where you've come from how much you've messed up he doesn't care who you are he doesn't care about the dark secrets maybe that you have in the past he'll never come to you and say ah oh, that thing that thing you get that sorted out and then come and let's have a little chat about salvation when you've got that thing sorted out the christmas king gives the best gift of all, grace, abundant grace, the salvation which he purchased for you with his life. 
And the question is, will you receive it? Listen to this verse. I think as well, this can really help understand when sharing faith with people. Romans 5, 17, it says, For if by the transgression of the one man, death reigned through that one man, that one man you speak about Adam, how much more will those who receive, that's the key word here, receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift, another key word that we're going to go into, gift, the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. This Christmas, we're going to do a little uh, Christmas-focused um, etiquette class. This Christmas, many of you guys are going to get given gifts, aren't you? It's one of those things. If you get given a gift, you guys know, if you leave it in the wrapping paper, if you don't unwrap it, and you have no idea what it is, okay? But it's still, even if you leave it in the box it, and leave it under the Christmas tree, it's completely useless. So you could get an iPhone XS Max, and it'd be amazing, but you're not gonna be WhatsApping anybody or getting any use out of it if it's left in the box. Salvation, like that verse there says, is a gift given, but we must receive it. We must receive it. And how do we do that? Here's a little lesson for Christmas. When somebody gives you a gift, what do we say back to them? Thank you. Thank you. You know, it's, we say thank you. Saying thank you actually says a lot about it. Says a lot about you in that moment. Because when we say thank you, it's this acknowledging that someone, that this person, they've gone out, They've paid a price for something and they've given you, you something that you don't need to pay a price for. And they're also not giving it to you as payment. A gift is never payment, is it? They're not giving it to you because you deserve it. They give it to you because they want to and because they love you. They choose to give it to you and because they love you. That is... A simple understanding of salvation right that God's given us a gift and it's just do we receive it look do, do you receive it it's on a plate it's there for all to receive so if we repent that change our minds change our thinking about him and say thank you God thank you for our salvation thank you we're acknowledging God that you've purchased it for us that you accept us that you're working in us that you delight to work through us you know this working in us he's been doing that forever he's been using messed up broken things the people that's like i don't think i'm good enough people to transform the world and so as we just end now here's a challenge spin that heart of christmas this christmas on yourself that Christmas means things that social class, salary, wealth, status, race, all these things, they don't matter. They don't matter. Seek forgiveness. Maybe you've messed up. Maybe you've messed up and you're someone and you need to go and you seek, need to seek forgiveness from someone. Maybe you need to be willing to forgive those who've wronged you. Jesus turns everything upside down. And there is this great joy and freedom of heart, some transformation in our hearts in that to experience the heart of the Christmas King. So I encourage you guys today, make him your King. I just want to challenge you guys just in prayer. 
Who is your king? Who is your king? Truly. I mean, I look out and I know many of you, you guys, you believe in him. You know him. Is he king over every area of your life? Because Christmas makes the claim. Is he the ultimate king of every area of your life? Are you here today and maybe you feel, hey, I'm not good enough. You feel like God doesn't accept you or love you because maybe you keep, you keep messing up. You keep making mistakes. Just not true. Not true. Are you here today and actually you know that you pursue Jesus not for him? You pursue the Christmas king, but to get. Or maybe you've made up this other kind of king. Maybe something I said there spoke to you. And I just challenge you, if that's you today, just, just say sorry, just repent and just fix your eyes on him, the Christmas king who comes at Christmas, born as a baby in a manger, who says and declares through his life, I am absolute king. I'm absolute king. Are you listening today? And maybe you know you need to receive this gift of salvation this gift of salvation today that you never really thought it's just saying thank you to God to step into this new life to see this transformation happen and so I'm just going to pray and if this is you you say these words after me Father God thank you for sending your son into the world Jesus thank you for dying on a cross for me thank you God that you are absolute king and Jesus I make you king of my life today I choose to follow you today Lord from this day forward in your great and mighty name Amen and Father, I just, I just pray over every single person here, God. Lord, I just pray a peace over every person here, God. Lord, I pray that this, that, Lord, that there is an exciting thing in this, God, that you are King of kings and Lord of lords, that you're seated on a throne in heaven today, Lord, that we can, each of us, in our workplaces, in our communities, in our families, God, that we can, with you, as absolute king in our lives Lord walk out our life with you Lord that we could see you flow through us and impact all these different areas Lord Lord I pray that you would just grow Lord that that almost like a door a greater dawn Lord the rising of your son in our lives God that we would grow in our relationships with you Lord that we would really see you day by day week by week, more and more, just a clearer picture of who you are, a clearer vision of who you are, Jesus, in your mighty and awesome name. Amen.